Frank. I thank you to, yeah, to Francisca and to this welcome uh, to all the faculty uh, that are here and also to you, to the students. I didn't know that this was the week prior to finals, so the fact that you are here is heroic, really. <laughs> I, my qu the question I want to address is what lies ahead for Christianity? And the, the answer is the hope of the church is the hope of the sacraments. I want to articulate that. Uh, and I'm going to begin with an image and then touch three points so that you have the, the image from, from the book of uh, Maccabees uh, to, to just to um, articulate the question. And then I will give the answer going to the sacraments and see how our hope today is the hope of the sacraments. Let me read from the book of uh, the second book of uh, Maccabees 248. It says, the prophet Jeremiah, in virtue of an oracle, ordered that the tent and the ark should accompany him. And he went to the very mountain that Moses climbed to behold God's inheritance, Mount Nebo. When Jeremiah arrived there, he found a chamber in a cave in which he put the tent, the ark, and the altar of incense. Then he sealed the entrance. Some of those who followed him came up intending to mark the path but they could not find it. When Jeremiah heard of this, he reproved them. The place is to remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows them mercy. Then the Lord will disclose these things and the glory of the Lord and the cloud will be seen just as they appeared in the time of Moses. This is the image beginning of Maccabees. So it's a reference to Jeremiah, the moment of the exile. Everything is lost for Israel and he goes takes the tent, the ark, and he hides it in a place nobody can find till the new presence of the glory. No? The book of Maccabees is telling us this before the, the combat of the Maccabees against the Maccabeans against the, yeah, the Greek to preserve the, the, the temple, the land and the temple, to preserve the law and to preserve the presence of God in their, in their people. Uh, and at the end, especially uh, if, you, if you take the second book of Maccabees, uh, so, you know, the first book is the history of the Maccabees. The second is not, is not the second part, but it's a theological explanation of the first book. And uh, the explanation is from the viewpoint of the temple, how to preserve the temple, how the temple is a sacred place, we, we need to fight for it. And it's at the beginning that Jeremiah, the prophet of the exile, when the temple was lost, is there, is there to, to say something is something from the temple, something from this very promised land in which Israel inhabits is to be saved if we want to preserve our faith. So, and this is the point that uh, I want to insist uh, through this image. No? The, uh, the Christian, the, the Jewish religion and the Christian religion, we need a land. We need a place of worship. Uh, Jeremiah is not saying, well, we will find God in other places or we will find God in the spirit because we, we no longer have a temple, we no longer have a land. Let's, let's find God only in the spirit. No, he's not saying that. He's saying God has promised that he would give us a, a promised land and he would do so. So we, he placed the hope. He went to Mount Nebo, the mount where Moses saw the, the promised land. Uh, as if saying there is a promised land to come. So I, I see there is a parallel between this image and our situation as well in the church. A situation of difficulty, of crisis, secularization. No? 
some people say, well, God is still here in our society. Don't, don't be afraid. There's no secularization. Only that we find God in other places. We, we find God in our authenticity. We find God in our own freedom, in our, in our conscience. No. But uh, we can say maybe so. Maybe we find God in these places. But the God we find in these places is not the Christian God. It's not the God of the Bible. This is the point, the initial point I want to make. The God of the Bible has promised a land to his people. And in Christianity, he has not abandoned the, the land. There is a land for us. No, we, we need to understand what is the land in Christianity. What is the, the new land, this promised land that Jeremiah, that Jeremiah saw when he buried the tent in, at Mount Nebo. Uh, I think the question today of the crisis of the secularization of the church is also, a, is, it goes together with the question of our culture. It's not only that we are losing faith in the culture, but that we are losing the culture of humanity itself. This is the novelty, I think, you know, this movement of no, cancel culture. So we are forgetting uh, our real our roots. No, I remember a quote here, T.S. Eliot, when he says, he saw the poet, the connection between losing the faith and losing humanity. No, he says, do you need to be told that even such modest attainments as you can boast in the way of polite society will hardly survive the faith to which they owe their significance? So they go together. And uh, so my question towards question what is what, what lies ahead for Christianity, you know, for a theologian to ask this question, a theologian is not a futurologist. So it's not a going a soothsayer, no, that, that sees the, the future. Uh, the only way in which a theologian speaks of the future is in as much as God is the is the one who leads us towards the real the re, our real future. So this is otherwise it is be, it is better to be silent. No? Yeah, we are we can speak from theology of the future only because God is leading us towards this future. And we can speak as, as theologians then in as much as we speak about the end of things, the ultimate end of everything. This is the way in which a theologian approaches you know, the question of the future. That means two things. The first is that we look at the future in the light of hope, of the virtue of hope. And now, hope is not, is not optimism, as Pope Benedict said m multiple times. No? Optimism means that I feel that the future will be good because of my character, so it's my feeling of the future. Hope is not optimism. It's not I feel that the future will be good because I, I, have, I am this kind of person or I have this, this feeling, this sensation. I hope because uh, I know that God, as, as my friend, will bring me to this future. And uh, hope as a virtue means it is active. I can bring about this future. So it's, this is the difference with, with optimism. You know? An optimist waits for the future to become better. A person with hope works for the future to become better because it's a virtue. But hope is different also from progress, from technical progress. In technical progress, I am alone the one who brings about the future. In hope, I bring about the future. The future comes through me. It's a virtue. But it comes through me because I am a friend of God. And uh, hope is uh, the knowledge and the, the, the we are sure that God will help me reach to this future uh, acting in me, through me. So this is the first thing we need to understand. It's, it's a question of hope. It's the virtue of hope that is key to answer this question. The second thing is important to understand is that when the theologian looks to the, how God moves history and, and what is the end of history, 
he doesn't look ahead, but he can also look behind. Why? Because this end of history, we know already that is the risen Christ. So this is why in the book of Revelation, there are prophets, but the prophets of the book of Revelation look backwards, look to the past. And St. John in Revelation says, the, the, the spirit of prophecy is the witness to Jesus. So we are prophets in as much as we know, and, and that's already an answer to the question. So the church follows the mysteries of the life of Jesus, which means also the church follows the cross and the resurrection. And so the, the, the hour of darkness that was present in Jesus' life is also present in, in, the, in the church, in the history of the church, because we follow his life. No? To, to foresee the future is to, to meditate in the mysteries of Christ. That's something that we already see in the Acts of the Apostles. You can compare the Acts of the Apostles with uh, the life of Jesus and see how it is, especially Peter and Paul. No? Paul is like the life of Jesus no? that continues in the Apostle. So that's, that's uh, also a life for the future, to go again to, to Jesus and see uh, what he gave us. No, my answer will be that he gave us the sacraments, so that it is in the sacraments that we can learn about the future of the church, even in this hour. Uh, by the way, just to quote um, uh, Robert Speman, the philosopher who said that the defeat of Christianity is not the refutation of Christianity. So even if Christianity seems to be defeated, that, that does not mean that Christianity is not true, Speman says, because this defeat is, is taught by Christianity itself, because there, there, there is to be a time of apostasy. This is, is in the scriptures. No? Uh, but even in this time of, of darkness, like, like it was for Jesus, it is a time of joy. It is a, a time of growth. No? Jesus was approaching his hour, the hour of darkness, but he was approaching also the hour of, of the encounter with the Father, and he, he grew in, in holiness, he grew in grace, and he, growth, he, grew, he grew in joy as well as he approached this moment. No? Um, I have quoted the book of Maccabees because I think it is useful for us, this book, can say the last before, before the... The, the moment Jesus came, no? uh, the history of a fight, really a fight for the temple, a fight for the law, and a fight for the presence of God in the, in the, in the people. And you see in the, in the book of Maccabees, um, we have like, there is something very important in, in going to the Old Testament as well. No? Because in, in the New Testament, the New Testament was written in a very short space of time. No? There was no not much time, one century, less, much less. No? Uh, the Old Testament was written generation after generation. That means that in the, new, in the Old Testament we have the way in which faith generates a culture. In the Old Testament we have uh, the meaning of many words that are necessary for a culture, like fatherhood, motherhood. So the New Testament cannot tell directly about these things because there was no time. But the New Testament included the Old. This is why it's so important that the old and the new go together. If we take out the old, it's like we take out culture from, from the gospel. We take out creation from the gospel. That's, that's the tragedy of separating the two. So I go, this is why I think the, the book of Maccabees have, has, it has a, a good image of, of our situation because we are dealing with a culture that is disintegrating as well. And, and this was the case in the, in the time. No? So, uh, I'm not going to explain the whole the two books of Maccabees, but I am going to, to take one point that I think is important. Before this is my quest, the question, no? the, what, 
what lies ahead, the image of Maccabees. Um, you know, it is a fight for the land, they are fighting for the land, but you see already in Maccabees an opening to the New Testament. And this is why I think it's so, and it, you know, the, the martyrs, the Maccabean martyrs were honored by the church very soon. And they, they, they kept the relics and they, they honored them as, as Christian martyrs. St. John Chrysostom has a homily explaining why they were Christian martyrs. Because Christ is the fulfillment of the temple, of the law, and of the presence of God. And you see how there is uh, this, this, what I read about Mount Nebo. No? The, the, the book of Maccabees knows that even if they recover the temple, this is not the end of history. No? The second book finishes with, not with the death of the Maccabeans, but with the recovery of the temple. Because it is about the temple. It is about the worship to God. It, it ends with the recovery of the temple and the, Israel again can worship in the temple. Uh, and so, but they know that this, this temple is not the definitive one. Jeremiah has, uh, has hidden the, the ark in, at Mount Nebo and so there is a new land to be recovered. No? I will argue that this land is brought, brought to us by Christ. There is another, another in, in Maccabeans, there is another, another element no, of, of this uh, transcendence towards Christianity. No, it's uh, the martyrs. At the middle of the second book of Maccabeans, you have the, the martyr of Eleazar, this old man who hold fast to, to his own faith, and then the, the mother with the seven children. Uh, these were able to offer their bodies, that is, they were able to, to lose the land, the earth, because they, they had faith that they would recover it. And this is the, the same action of Israel when it went into exile. No? You lose the land, Jeremiah, no? you lose, but you know that there is the hope of returning to it. And this was the, so in, your, in, in the Maccabeans there is like a, this, these three elements, no? the, 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 temp, the temple, the law, and the presence of God are there to indicate something bigger, something that comes afterwards. And so let me then go to the, to the answer I want to articulate, no, to th these, three, these three moments. No. My answer is that uh, the land that the Maccabees <coughs> were waiting for is the land of the Eucharist. It's the Eucharist, that will be the first point, which includes in itself the sacrament of marriage, and that means the sacrament of creation and of human culture. This would be the second point. And through the other sacraments, expands to the rest of our um, dialogue and, and uh, communication with, with our culture. So these three points, the Eucharist, marriage, and then the rest of the sacraments. And I, I think that's, again, no, the, the, the one important point here is that we need a land. Christianity is not, has not renounced, has not lost the land. This, this earth that was so important for the Maccabeans that they died for it. Uh, Christianity has not gone to a, a fully spiritual place. It has another land, it's true, it's transformation of the land. But it is still a land. And that's important because we... So that means that the Christians cannot withdraw from our society. It's a, we, we have a different place in this society and we don't need to fear this society because our place will not be taken for us. Now, what is this place? The first point I said is, is the Eucharist. So this place, uh, 
Uh, we can see it if we go to the beginning of the Gospel of John. John 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So the, he is flesh and then a dwelling place, two together. No? So he is flesh and this flesh is a, is a dwelling place. It's not only his own body, his organs, but it is while assuming flesh, he assumed like a network of relationships and he inhabited among us. He entered into our land. So you go from John 1.14, the word became flesh, to John 14, 1, 2. This is, you know, 1.14 to 14.1, more or less. What do you find in John 14? It's 1, 2. No? It says, in the house of my father, there are many dwelling places. This is Jesus. So, in the, in the house of my father, this is the temple. The temple is the house of the Father. The temple is his body. Because he says, you will destroy this body and I will raise it up. So, Jesus has taken the flesh and then he has inhabited among us. And at the, at the end of the gospel, he will say, now this flesh that they have taken from you has become a dwelling place for you, has become a new land. So, Jesus has gone to the, to the roots of our we need to dwell in a place, we need a, we need a home, we need a dwelling place, we need a land. Now he has said the most fun, foundational land is your own body. It's the body of man and woman in the family. You know? it's, the, it's the body that becomes one flesh when man and woman are united. This is the, the most foundational, the, the most radical dwelling place for us. So Jesus has, in a sense, has made more radical the need for a land. It's not a land, it's, this land is your body. It's your body that becomes one body with the others. It's the body of man and woman. It's the body of the child who is born in this family that uh, is like the, the human family. No? So uh, we, we could explain this by going to the words of the Eucharist. No? The three, I mean, the words, words of institution, the Eucharist. Take, this is my body. But what is it, why Jesus says that? I think that the Apostle John, the evangelist, when he wrote he, he, the word became flesh, he was able to do so because Jesus had said, had said this is my body for you. So why, why did he say this is my body and not this is my life, this is my love? Maybe that, that would be more understandable for us, no? but he said this is my body. No? So we need to, to go to the, to the biblical meaning of body. The body is uh, the place where we relate to others, where our, our very life is open to others, to the meeting with others, where we can become one with the other person so that this encounter changes who we are. And the, the most greatest example is the union of Adam and Eve in one flesh. But then it, it, it goes ahead, no? because when we are brothers, the brothers of, of Joseph, for example, before killing him, one of them says, don't kill him because he is our flesh. So the same, this idea of being one flesh, of being flesh of the flesh, is what is, is indicated in the, in, the, in the word body. So Jesus is saying, this is my body. So this is the way I relate to other people. This is the, the radical way when I have assumed a body, I have become your brother. And so it is like saying, this is my family. This is my body, this is my family. This is the new family I have inaugurated with my life. When we enter into a family, we receive not only a body, but also a name. We receive, we are, we are children of our parents. We are 
we become brothers or sisters of our siblings. So something very, very crucial is changing us when we enter into a family. No? So Jesus is saying this very thing is happening when you enter into the Eucharist. This is my body means this is my new family to, of which you can become a member. In Gabriel Marcel, no, this French philosopher, says that the, relation, the relationship we have with our own body, which is mysterious because it's, it's, it's we ourselves, but on the other hand, it's, it's outside ourselves. No? He says, what is this relationship with our own body? And he, he explains, it is the, very, the, very, the same relationship or very analogous as the one we have with our family of origin, with our mother, with our father, with our siblings. So this is the, because the body is, the, is the, the first place we inhabit in the world. The same thing Karl Wojtyla, when he, when he said that, when I say my body, it is not like when I say my watch, but is like when I say my mother, my father, my brother. This my, my body, is more similar as my father. Is, is, because when I say my father, I accept that my father says to me, you are my child. So this my is also availability. It's also, I accept that I belong to you. When I say my watch, it's only I, the watch belongs to me, but not the other way around. No? So he says, when you say my body, when you accept your body, you accept that you belong to others. No? This is Oitiwa. No? So now Jesus says also, take my blood. What is, what is that meaning? Why, why is he giving the blood to drink? No? When he says, this is my, my blood for you to drink, there is a connection in the, in the biblical mentality as well between the blood and life. God gives life, and the life is in the blood. This is why you cannot, in the Old Testament, you cannot drink the blood. It's, 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 it's God giving you your, your life, inspiring you your life. And so it's, it's, a, it's a strong connection. There is a strong connection between uh, blood, life, and also breath. Because we uh, take the air, and this air goes to our body through the blood. This was very common in the mentality of the, in the, of the Old Testament and then in the fathers of the church as well, that I receive through the air, I receive. So the blood gives the air to my whole body. And you know that the air in Hebrew and also in Greek is the spirit. So there is a strong connection between giving the blood and giving the spirit, giving the fruitfulness of the spirit. So when he says, this is my body, he's saying, this is my family, this is my new land for you. When he says, this is my blood, he's saying, this, this, this land that I give to you is fruitful. It's alive. It's full of future. So you're going to inhabit a land that gives fruit. It's not the desert. It, it, it is full of hope then. To, to give. In order to have hope, we need a place where fruit comes. This is the key for really having the virtue of hope. No? We need a place. We need to be together. Uh, Gabriel Marcel uh, had this definition of hope. He says, I really can hope. To, to hope means to say, I hope in you for us. Because hope means opening, we open up to, to something greater than ourselves. And it is given always in community for us. I cannot hope for me alone. Because it, because it is only in the community that my life opens up to something greater. So this is what Jesus is giving in the, in the Eucharist, no? a land 
that is fruitful because it is here in this land that the Holy Spirit wants to come and make this, this land fruitful. This is, I think, the key for the hope of the church, that we have been given a new temple that nobody can take away this temple for us. It's not a temple in Jerusalem. It's not even a temple in Rome. It's not, we can be taken out of these temples. And still, we have the temple that is radical for, for us, which is the Eucharist. And as much as the Eucharist is there, there is a land where we can inhabit and there is a, a fruit that we can receive because this land is fruitful. So I think that what we find in the book of Maccabees, this fight for the land, fight for the law, and fight for the presence of God is given to us in the Eucharist. We fight for the land, which is the, the body of Jesus. This land is, is fruitful. And in this land, there is a law as well. Do this in memory of me. This is a commandment. It's the commandment that contains the commandment of love, contains the whole the Ten Commandments. Because if we do this in memory of him, then we are to follow the commandment of love, the new commandment that Jesus gave us. No? So this, is the, the, this could be the answer. So we have, a new, we have a new place where we can hope. In as much as we keep the Eucharist alive in us, then there is a future of hope for us. But one could say, okay, but this body of the Eucharist, what is the connection between ba this body of the Eucharist and our bodies? What is the connection between this body, the body of Jesus, this family, and the body we share with the rest of humanity, with humankind? What is the connection between this new body and the body we have from creation, and that is also our body? Augustine said, all men is Adam, all men are Adam, all men are Christ, if they believe in him. So we are Adam as well. So it is here that, this is the second point, marriage enters, the sacrament of marriage. If, if, if is, is there something we, we take for granted, that marriage is, is one of the seven sacraments. But in fact, it's not something to be taken for granted. It's something awesome. That uh, this, in, in the church, one of the seven sacraments is the institution. This was instituted as one of the seven signs of efficacious grace. Something that is just present in creation. We don't, we don't add anything to, to, the, uh, to the covenant of the spouses in order for it to be, to, to be a sacrament. It's just the... the can say marriage is a sacrament. The only thing we need is to be baptized, that the two that get married are, ba are baptized. If, if this is so, then it is a, one of the sacraments of the church, mediates the grace of Christ. So we can say, uh, why, is, why is marriage a sacrament? Marriage is a sacrament because the body of Jesus in the Eucharist, the body he said, this is my body for you, is the very body he took from Mary. And Mary is daughter of Adam and Eve. She's the true mother of Jesus. He's virgin as well, and this is the novelty of Jesus. He brought a novelty. But she's mother. And by being mother, he says, this very body that you are receiving in the Eucharist is the body of creation. The body. And, and that's why the body of Jesus has to do with our everyday life, has to do with what is marriage all about has to do with society as well, with work, because it's in the family, in marriage, that the society is built. Uh, so that this is really key to understanding the hope of the church, you know, because marriage is a sacrament of hope as well. The hope that is in the body of the Eucharist 
is present as well in the body of marriage. I think that's uh, key um, in the tradition, you know, when you study the sacrament of marriage, you have St. Augustine who talk about the goods of marriage. Marriage is something good because it, Augustine needed to, to defend that sexuality was not bad, was not evil, again the Gnostics. So he insisted that marriage is good, is something that comes from God. Uh, the, the origin of marriage is good, even is the source of goods for us, because we, we understand that life is good because we have been born in a family. And so it's important that we, we see that marriage is a good. Thomas Aquinas later on would say, well, it is a good. Marriage is, there are goods of marriage, but there are also goals of marriage, ends of marriage. Marriage is also an activity. We do something together. Uh, we work, no, we, we for, for Aquinas, the, the ends of marriage were procreation, to have children, and then to help each other reach heaven together. So marriage is, is a good because it comes from God, but it's also an action. We do it together and we, we bear fruit. It matures, it grows. In the Vatican Council, there is also talk about the gifts of marriage. Marriage gives us, it's a gift. It's a gift of one person entrusted to us. It's the gift of the child. So what I propose to you is to add another item no? and to say, to speak also about the hopes of marriage. I think it's important today in this time, in, th in this difficult time. Marriage has different hopes. And uh, what I mean is, you can argue other forms of union, of sexual unions, are not to be followed because they don't give us hope. Because they don't open up beyond ourselves. And in this way, because they enclosed us in our own desires, feelings, in the end, because they don't accept a difference, because they, they don't accept a creator who is present in the union, they only bear like a desert. They are fruitless. And that means they don't, they don't bring us, they don't help us go beyond ourselves, uh, I hope, in you, for us. Only that needs to be articulated, of course. But I think we can show that only in marriage between a man and a woman, for till, till death, make us do us part, open to life. Only in this kind of union, which is the plan of God for creation, can we have real hope. The hopes of marriage would be in the first, in the first place uh, the promise of love forever, till death. This is the first hope of marriage, you know, that we can say to another person till, till death, you know, this is already a hope. It's like saying, I can, I can embrace my future. We can't do that. In marriage, we can't do that because man and woman become one in this very place in which they have been generated. All of us come from man and woman. And uh, when the sexual union is to be united with another person in this very place where we received our identity. That's why it is so sacred, no, this union. And that, that's why it allows for a promise that is still death. It allows for, for a total gift of self because it is the place where I, I received who I am. Uh, other hope of, of marriage is the children that come from the union. <coughs> and there is also the hope of the of monogamy, the fact that I can tell to another person, only you. Only you is enough to mediate my relationship with the Creator. 
with the, with the fulfillment of life. Because this is what you say when you get married. No? You forever, you till death, and only you. And this is a great hope in the person. Only you are enough, only you are sufficient to mediate my relationship with the source and the fulfillment of life. There is also the hope of reconciliation, of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a, is a hope because it goes beyond evil. It says you can hope even in the face of evil, even in the face of betrayal. So this is a real hope that we can overcome evil. Otherwise, we would despair. No? Despair is when we think that we cannot attain our fulfillment. So this is my, my proposal, that uh, the future of the Church is when we can put together the body of the Eucharist and the body of marriage, because they belong together, because Jesus included the body of marriage uh, in, his, in his Eucharist. And so, uh, in as much as the Church, this is why it's so important to defend and to, to, to teach the truth of marriage, not only because we are saying something about, first of all, about creation, about our origin, but al also because without marriage it's, it's impossible to talk about the Eucharist and to proclaim the faith. If the Church does not teach the truth of marriage, she cannot teach the Gospel. She cannot teach who is God as Father. She cannot teach who is the Church as Mother. She cannot teach what the body of Christ given to us is. Uh, as you see, many of the discussions in the Church today have to do with the Eucharist and marriage. We could go no? one, one after another, I don't know. One of them has been uh, the discussion on, on celibacy, for example, no? priestly celibacy, no? which the question behind was, there is a lack of priests, so what can we do to assure that we have the Eucharist? No? Now, to, to, to want to assure the Eucharist in this way, to make sure that we have the Eucharist, no? uh, by a technical solution, if you want, is not very Eucharistic. No? Because uh, what is Eucharistic is to understand that the Eucharist does not come from us. That this body that is given to us comes from God. And, and the priest and celibacy in connection with the Eucharist, with, with the celebration of the Eucharist, is a sign of that. It's, it's, it's telling us you cannot assure by yourself the hope in this body. Because I hope in you for us. Um, I don't know, for example, the, the discussion of who can receive the Eucharist. Many different cases. No? Where, uh, oh, so, if I want to receive the Eucharist, does it depend only on me, on my examination of conscience? Or the Church can tell me, you cannot come, because there is something that does not correspond with the holiness of this place, if you want. That not, does not correspond with the, with the language we speak together here. So, it's clearly that if the Church says that there are situations in which the Church herself can tell someone, do not come, you cannot come, because there is something that is not, does not correspond to this place that we are living in. It does not, it's not connected with, with our common way of life. Because if you receive the Eucharist, you are not only receiving Jesus, but you are also receiving the way of life of Jesus. So this is again, the question is there. No? And, uh, um, the good of the Eucharist cannot be divided, atomized among us. No, it's, a, it's a common good. And that's why there is these situations no, in which the Church has a say, because she has to defend the common good. 
Uh, I could go on. Uh, just to, to give another example, no? we are studying together what is synodality. What is to a synod? You know, synod and synod is to, to walk together. It's beautiful, no? We, we walk together. But, and this is the point. No? Don't, do not forget that we walk, we walk together because we come from the same place and we go to the same place as well. We belong to the same place. We can, we can have a synod and walk together because we belong to the same body, which is the body of, of, of the family and the body of the Eucharist. Otherwise, it would be uh, working together, yes. So when you study synodality and you, when you so <laughs> ask yourself you know, how much the Eucharist is present here, because the, the church is, a, is, is, is born from the Eucharist and then she celebrates the synods. And synodality has sense if we belong together and we, we have a common goal together. So let me go to the last point. No, so now, if that's so, if we have the body of the Eucharist and the body of the Church and the body of, of marriage, and we, we keep them together, uh, what is our hope? Where can where can we go? Uh, I think that uh, this this new body that, that has been has been given to us in the Eucharist and in marriage allows us to see also the role of the Church in in society. No? What is uh, what is the path we are to follow? If we are, if, if we are to, to, uh, to have the virtue of hope. Uh, let me go, we can go through the, these, these four sacraments, that uh, is the sacrament of baptism, confirmation, penance, and the anointing of the sick. Because the four of them, like they, they tell us, so my, the point is that all of the sacraments are the way in which the Eucharist goes to different regions of our life. So the, the, sac the, the fundamental sacrament is the Eucharist, and then it is, it is lived in different ways. In the Eucharist, we have the body of Christ, and then each sacrament has a different language of the body, which we live a different language of the body that allows us to go to, to, our, to our fulfillment. In baptism, we have the body that is, that is born. The, the symbol of, of the, the waters of baptism is the womb of the church. This is the old symbol no, of the... So it is a body that is giving birth, a, a body that gives birth because it res receives life from God, as, as in all mothers no, who, who give birth. So in baptism, we are, and this is the key, you know, we, are, we are Christians together, we are, we are a church, not because, because we have decided to come together. It's not our decision. Uh, it is also, but first of all, it's that we were born together. We decided or we, we opened to receive one gift, the gift of God in baptism that made us children. That's why in the, in the, in the sacrament of baptism, when, when there is an infant, this is the way in which we understand what, what baptism is about. Uh, and the church will have hope in as much as she's open to be generated from above, con continuously, not only once, because baptism is not that we, we were baptized at the moment, but continuously in us, there is a source of water there is a source of grace. In baptism, we, we not just, did not just receive some water, we receive a source of water. This is the teaching, of, for example, of Aquinas, no? when he says that we, the, the character of baptism, which is in us, is a continuous instrument of grace. So we are continuously receiving grace because he says this, the character of baptism is our capacity to receive the gifts of God. We are made capable of receiving the gifts of God. So this is the, and I think in our culture, if you see baptism and you see the battle on abortion, 
you see the contrast. Baptism means we are continually being born. Abortion means not only to kill a life, but to kill birth. As Macbeth no, killed sleep. No? Macbeth, when he killed this man, he killed his sleep, no? his self. No? So when you, in, in, in abortion, you are killing the very idea of being generated by another, of receiving life. No? If, you, if you go now to confirmation, no, you see what is confirmation, like baptism, but now you are not only generated into the, into the space of the church, but you are able to build this space. You are, you are able to generate in this space. God wants you to collaborate with your work, in his work of generating, of building the church. This is why normally confirmation is required for marriage, because in marriage you will start doing just that, building a family which is domestic church. So what you have in, the, in, the, uh, in confirmation is the capacity to generate. The church uh, is, is always, she trusts in her own future because she trusts in the action of God in her, through her through our action, through our mission. Um, the contrast to that is, to that is the, the incapacity of our culture to generate. We see that in the, the denial of the sexual difference, for example. So it's, it's a, a fruitless way of life that does not, there is no future because we don't trust our capacity to generate a new future. If you go to penance, it's the capacity of reconciliation. So in penance, you are told, it is possible to go back to the place of baptism, even if you have gone astray, even if you have abandoned this body of baptism, your family, you can always go back because you are always a child. Because of the character of baptism, you are a child, you belong to this family, so no matter how much you go astray, you can come back here. And penance is to restore the character of baptism, the capacity of the character of of give grace. So you are reintegrated into the body of Christ. This, that means that at the center of the church is the capacity of asking forgiveness to God, which we do at the beginning of the Mass, of each Mass. Uh, and I see here a contrast with, the, with this cancel culture, no? incapacity of reconciliating oneself with the past because we see evils in the past. Of course there are evils. Uh, but the, the answer to these evils that, that we have in our history, because they are sinful, is not to cancel but to reconciliate. And in order to reconciliate, this is the, the French philosopher Rémy Brac speaking about this cancel culture. The Christian answer is to reconciliate. And you can't reconciliate because you recognize a good origin. Because you recognize something, a good that is deeper than the evil you have done. And finally, there is the anointing of the sick. Um, here what you have in, in sickness, in disease, in suffering. Uh, it seems that your, your space in the world, your body, is restricted. No? You lose capacity to move, to relate to others. No? It seems that you are losing uh, the body as, as a relationship. You are maybe in a bed. No? Your world is, is small. But the anointing of the sick is telling you, even in this situation, uh, the space of, of the body can be opened up with love and, and can open up by, by being one with Christ even beyond death. So it's, it's, it's telling us that this body is to be transformed. Uh, of course, you see euthanasia and assisted suicide you know, as the signs that our culture has abandoned this idea that even in death, even in suffering, uh, and, and maybe especially in suffering, 
there is the capacity of uh, enlarging our space by transforming it through an act of love, even beyond death. Now, in the book of Maccabees, you have the, the, martyr, the martyrdom of Eliazar, this old man who rather died than to reject his faith, and it's just the contrary of what happened in euthanasia. I want to, to finish here with just an image. So I think that uh, if, if that's true, if, this, if these sacraments are at the center of the church, Karl Marx said that religion is the heart of a heartless world. He, he later said that it's the opium of the people. Uh, I would say, if, if that's true, uh, it's not only the heart of a heartless world, but it's the future of a futureless world, and it's the body of a bodiless world, because we have no, no longer uh, we no longer remember the, the incarnation. Um, and I finish with the image of the Maccabees of this mother, which is an image of Our Lady, of course, and an image of the church. St. John Chrysostom, at one place, says that this woman was 14 times a mother. 14. Seven, because he bore these children, and another seven, because by by encouraging them to martyrdom, she generated them for eternal life, the confession of faith for eternal life. So I think my, my, my prayer would be that our church, that the church continues, and no doubt she will continue doing that because the Lord assured that she would, she would continue being twice a mother. So remembering us the truth of creation, the truth of our culture and of our society and our capacity we have to build society, and then uh, teaching us that all this has to be transformed by the sacraments into the life of Christ. Thank you.